This podcast is brought to you by the Accredited Snow Contractors Association. With industry standards-based certification, a discounted insurance program, networking events, and legislative efforts that strengthen the professional snow and ice management industry, your ASCA membership never stops working for you. Join today at ASCAonline.org. Hi, this is Mike Zawacki, editor of Snow Magazine. Winter's officially upon us, so I checked in with Beth Carpenter and Joseph Cooper, meteorologists and co-owners of Indianapolis-based Thermodynamic Solutions. Both Beth and Joseph have authored weather-related articles for us in the past, but this is the first time our schedules synced up to get them both on the podcast together to discuss weather trends you need to be aware of for this winter, as well as some tips on how to use weather data to better manage your snow ops. I imagine one of the uh, most common questions you guys field when you're out in the community or you're meeting with your clients or, or talking to other snow contractors is uh, the question of uh, what's what winter the weather this winter going to be like? And as a meteorologist, how how difficult is that to answer? Difficult to answer, especially when we get that question really early in the in the season. A lot of times, as far out as the summer before, we're getting questions of what are you seeing for this winter, um, so they can start to prepare. And at that point, honestly, it's a very hard question to answer because uh, there are just so many variables in play that need to be fine tuned as as we approach that time frame. Really, though, when we get into the uh, October time frame, maybe even um, mid to late September. A lot of times we're starting to gather our general thoughts on the winter, so we can give them a bit of an idea at that point what we're thinking for uh, maybe temperature and precipitation anomalies in certain areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's tough that once you get, you know, when you're talking, you know, we we start getting people asking us whether it's snow contractors or whether it's, you know, your grandma uh, (laughs) asking us in, in, you know, August, well, what do you think the weather is going to, you know, what do you think winter is going to be like? And I'm always like, well, it's going to be colder, and there's probably going to be some more snow than there is right now. And, uh, you know, it's just, you know, when you're getting into July, August, September, the big thing becomes, you know, it's tough to forecast that far out. First off, the data is just not that good. Second off, generally when we start to get into fall, you start to see a general pattern change anyway. So to sit here and say that our pattern in, in, in August or September or whenever um, is going to be the same as it's going to be in winter or that models are picking up on that very well, um, you know, that's, that's a very low probability thing just because, like I said, in fall, we just start to see there's so many things that go on um, within, within the atmosphere, especially higher up in through the atmosphere. Uh, it's just it's hard to forecast when things are going to change and exactly how they're going to change and things like that. So it's, it's a very tough, very tough uh, forecast at best. Mm-hmm. You know, um, obviously, you know, we were talking about, you know, winter weather and the and how it's quite a challenge far out to try to uh, get a grasp of what winter is going to really be like. Uh, but unfortunately, our guys are uh, snow contractors. They're, it's so important to them because so much of their cost analysis and their pricing and, and their contract language even is based on what they think. Uh, weather may be like. And so I was wondering if you guys could maybe provide some insight on what you're seeing with regard to winter weather trends, both in the near term and the long term. We 
get asked this question a lot. Uh, do we see changes overall in the winter um, patterns? I mean, a, a lot of the winter months in the past few years, we've seen above normal precipitation and, or sorry, above normal temperatures. And actually, when we see above normal temperatures, a lot of places see snowier conditions. And that's because uh, the atmosphere, when it's warmer, can hold more moisture. Um, we did a little bit of a study on this. It wasn't this win this coming uh, winter, but a couple years ago, um, regarding um, temperature anomalies and snowfall anomalies, what the relationship is there each year. And uh, because we've had these um, warmer, it's usually been a, like the December time frame, even maybe November as well, affecting this, where we've seen those above normal temperatures. And it's led to those early season snowfall events uh, when we do get that cold air to come in. Uh, and then later in the season as well, uh, we've seen a bit warmer temperatures or snow coming in when it is warmer instead of the very cold shots because that moisture is available. So that's one thing we've been watching. As far as long-term projections on that, I'm not really seeing anything for years down the road that is going to be a huge factor. I think that uh, we're always we're still going to see these fluctuating winters um, with above and below normal and um, those extremes. I, I think that our systems maybe will be getting stronger uh, overall slightly, um, which could lead to enhanced snowfall rates. But again, and for a specific location, uh, you're not going to be able to say, you know, Chicago or uh, Detroit or whatever is going to see, you know, more snowfall in the next 10 years than it ever has. It's going to mm -hmm. uh, depend highly on the pattern. Yeah, and I, I mean, I would agree with that, and I would tend to say, you know, I mean, if we look, I mean, I don't know how far into the future you're looking, but I mean, uh, when I think into the future, I'm thinking the next three to six months. But, um, you know, I, you know, I look into, as we get into, you know, it's crucial into, no, into uh, say, November. We're in November. Holy smokes. Uh, into <laughs> December and January and February, you know, I look down the road and, and looking at some of the long-range data, obviously, I mean, we're, we're still in mid-November, and we haven't even really got into the heart of uh, the winter weather season yet by any means. And, you know, looking down the road, I think here as we get into the next few weeks, I mean, we've still got a very active pattern. We've still got a lot of um, a lot of troughs digging in across the northern hemisphere. So I think as we go at least into the next several weeks, I don't see a lot of, you know, any kind of a break from the activity. I mean, I think we continue to see, you know, an active pattern as we head down the road here. And, again, like Beth said, that's not to say that, you know, Chicago or Green Bay or, you know, Detroit or Indianapolis or Buffalo or whoever um, are going to necessarily see X amount of inches of snowfall or above-average snowfall, whatever you may want to say. Um, that's just to say that, you know, we're going to we're gonna continue to see systems move through. I don't think we're going to be lacking in the potential of, of snowfall and, and of low-pressure systems moving across the region. Historically, uh, the industry uh, looks at winter weather as a three-year cycle. I'm sure you guys have heard this before. Uh, they say that uh, it comes in threes. You're going to have one year of uh, you're an average winter of both you know snow and, and, and ice events. You're going to have one bad year where it's unseasonably warm and one great year where it's excessively snowy and cold and whatnot. Is there any validity in that three-year cycle, or is that just, <laughs> uh, you know, become a little bit of like, a, uh, you know, a myth in our industry? Uh, I do think that it's a bit of a myth. I think that kind of the idea behind it 
is that you're you've always, you've got three options for winter. You're either going to see right at normal snowfall or above or below. On average, yeah, you would think that in a three-year period, um, you'd see each of those three options just based on the odds. However, I don't. At least here in the Ohio Valley in Indiana, we haven't in Indiana in particular, I should say, we haven't seen that. We've had several of the last years that were all below normal. We haven't had an above normal snowfall year since I want to say maybe the winter of thirteen fourteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't hold me to that one specifically that year, um, but that's the one that comes to mind. Um, so in our case, no, we haven't seen that three year pattern, and I think that you know in general maybe you could plan. I would say it's better to go by maybe a six year cycle where on average in that period you're going to see two years about normal two years above and two years below Um, but it's not going to come like in that three-year period uh, as often as you would like I don't think and I think a large part of weather is perception especially outside of a meteorologist point of view Um, you know for instance if I you know let's just let's just use for tomorrow for instance here in Indianapolis if I call for a high of 52 but that high is achieved it's 6 a.m. in the morning, and it's going to be 38 degrees at 5 p.m., guess what people are going to wonder? Well, why didn't the high get to 52 degrees? And in reality, it did. It's just that it ended up coming at 7 a.m. or 6 a.m. So I think there's a perception out there. You know, you can get, I think sometimes we get active winters that maybe, what's the word I want to say? We get active winters where maybe we have a lot of clippers or maybe we have a lot of, you know, we just have some snow events and we end up, you know, we end up near normal or below normal. And it seems like, you know, because we've had all these events that maybe were, we should be above normal or maybe, you know, it's, it's kind of the flip side. Maybe you're averse and it feels like, well, we really haven't had that much snow, but we've actually had, you know, several big systems that have produced snowfall and it's ended up being above average. And now, so I say that to say that, you know, to say that it's a three-year cycle of, of one way or the other, um, I mean, I don't. I haven't ever seen any data to back up that claim. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of different, you know, sayings out there. I mean, I could go through a million different, you know, different sayings that have some root and truth, I'm sure. But you know, I guess to me, I, I like to see data before I would sit there and say one way or the other. But um, as far as I've ever seen, as far as climatology is concerned, especially here across the Ohio Valley and into the Great Lakes, I've never seen data necessarily that would you know, suggest that. So I think it's a, I I do think it's a lot of a perception thing. It seems like, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like in, in recent years, at least within the last five, maybe even the last, obviously in the last decade, definitely. Uh, but that, um, uh, the, uh, you know, meteorology and, and providing weather information has, um, the amount of information and data out there has allowed, people like you to be more accurate and more specific in your um in your for not only in your forecast but also in your ability to provide contractors with uh numbers and data as a documentation tool as well has this provided uh, a certain amount of uh, uh of extra pressure and stress to your job in the sense that there are exceeding expectations on the information you can provide them about weather where like they want to know down to the, you know, <laughs> to the minute and to the, you know, to the zip code of where and what is going to happen. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, that as we've, you know, we've continued, I mean, meteorology is still super young science and, 
Uh, we're continuing to see advances in a lot of different aspects and including modeling. Uh, you know, we're getting to the point where we've had, we already have several what we would consider high resolution um, forecast models that, that have basically used a tighter grid spacing to produce better forecasts, if you will. Um, I say better. I use that term a little bit loosely with some quotations around it. Um, but nonetheless, some better forecasts. And so, as, you know, obviously snow contractors, I mean, they know what's going on. They, they are, most of these people are, um, you know, they're, they're following forecasts. A lot of them are looking at forecast models on their own. And so that they understand that, and it does make it more challenging because now you've got data which is on a three-kilometer grid spacing and, you know, talks of maybe going to a lo even lower kilometer, which would be awesome, but I don't know when that will be. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, so there is there's this idea of, okay, well, we've got better forecast models, and so, you know, it's, it's in a better grid spacing. It's, it's getting better data. It should be putting out better data. But that's, in a way, it's a misconception because there's just a lot of, there's a lot of variables at play. I mean, every moment uh, of every day across the, across the globe. I mean, so, you know, it's, it's the whole butterfly effect. If a butterfly flaps its wings in, in South America, it, it impacts the weather in Duluth, you know? Mm -hmm. So any kind of small aspect of that, it, it, or any kind of small variation can create a, a very large change in the forecast. So it's, there's definitely, but there is definitely a, uh, a push out there for more accurate and more localized forecasts, which to an extent can be done. Now, you know, if I get on my weather app and, and type in my zip code, it's going to give me a forecast from my backyard. Is that forecast going to be accurate down to my backyard? No, it's not going to be. I mean, we're just not there yet. There's how, how numerical models work is there's a, a number or an algorithm assigned for different variables in the atmosphere, even all the way down to, you know, different uh, terrains, down to different, you know, whatever you want to say, from whether it's farm fields or whether it's mountainous areas or, or why, especially mountainous areas, but uh, bays, anything like that. And so there's so many different small features that we've got these numerical uh, uh, values or uh, um algorithms assigned to that it just can't you can't pick up on them all so to say you can forecast all the way down uh, to a very small area in a very accurate you know at a very accurate amount is there it's just not there yet and i don't know that we'll ever be there um it but yeah it is getting better and there is more pressure i mean obviously these decisions that that your you know that your forecast is allowing or causing the the snow removal companies or these people at the snow removal companies to make um, you know, obviously those are, you know, ten, sometimes tens of thousand dollars of decisions. Um, so, I mean, obviously there, there is a big, you know, a big push to be, be as accurate as you possibly can. But, the, you know, it, there's, there's, it's a good thing and a bad thing because people want the more accurate information because they know it's possible. But at the same time, I think a lot, a lot of the people, especially that we deal with, also understand that, that model data is not perfect. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, they understand that, that, you know, when you're talking about a system, we're thinking it's going to be rain and rain from I-80 south in northern Illinois and snow from, you know, I-80 north, and then it shifts three county roads. They un they also understand that there's always going to be that variable. It's never going to be perfect. Um, you know, so so it is it, in some ways it's kind of it is kind of hard, but in some ways, especially for those that understand modeling and how things uh, go, uh, it, it's a good thing too. So. Mm -hmm.
So many phrases about weather, especially about winter weather, have entered the popular lexicon. You know, you hear th- terms like uh, uh, bombogenesis and thundersnow and poor vortexes and snowmageddons. They are all become, you know, you hear everybody's using these phrases nowadays. And it almost seems as if severe weather and, and, and winter weather, severe winter weather is no different, has almost become a form of entertainment. Has this made your job easier or harder? This is probably one of my favorite things to discuss here. So all of these terms that you just mentioned, the bombogenesis, polar vortex, uh, those things are actually meteorological terms that the news has really just kind of taken hold of the last three years or so. So they sound Um, like a sci-fi movie. (laughs) Yeah, they, they are kind of, but I mean, these are not new terms. These are just scientific terms that in the past had been reserved for, you know, meteorologists. It's really just been the news picking us up. They want to sound more scientific because they, well, some the broadcast meteorologists themselves want to sound more scientific, but then the news producers say, oh, this sounds worse, or this sounds really cool. They can get a lot of attention for it. So the media has really uh, started pulling these, phrases into their headings, um, kind of as attention grabbers, and, you know, the general public has kind of thought, oh, these are new things, like, this hasn't happened before, uh, when in reality, they've always happened, um, they've always been here, you've always experienced it, you just didn't know they were called these, so it, it makes it harder on us in a lot of aspects, because, uh, first of all, you've got the news, you know, viewing this everywhere. Oh, the polar vortex is coming. It's going to be really bad. Well, it, it comes often. Um, <laughs> we just have an abnormally cold shot here. So it's more of us bringing things down, saying, look, this is nothing new. We've dealt with this before. It's a fancy term. There is going to be below normal temperatures during this period, and this is why. So it makes our job harder in that aspect. Otherwise, um, you know, it, it does kind of give meteorologists uh, more of a free range to – Uh, kind of nerd out, if you will, um, with the public and share these terms. Uh, You know, we think these things are cool, but it's because we've studied them and learned about them. We think they're cool in a nerdy way, and then we get to express that to everybody else. So (laughs) that makes it more fun, I think, in that aspect, too. Yeah, and I mean, to clarify, snowmageddon is not a meteorological term. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I mean, they like Beth said. I mean, they've been around. I mean, there's there's definitions for a lot of these these terms that we use. It's not like uh, you know the media likes to pick up on these terms and they're kind of you know you know polar vortex and and you know you know bombing out. We, we some of us use bombing out as as the term and um, all these different bomb cyclone whatever. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different terms and we've used them for a long time. And so I think they just pick them up. They're they're catchy words and. You know the the news, and I'm not trying. I'm not trying to necessarily bash anybody in the news, but that you know they're trying to get views and they're trying to get ratings. So they're trying to find these catchy kind of words that they can use, and people will be like, "Oh, that sounds crazy," you know. And in uh, general, I mean, some of these storms, yeah, they are crazy, so they do deserve that. I think they're really neat terms, but I think you know the the only place that I that's always a bummer is is when people are like, "Oh, yeah, the polar vortex. It's really you know. Don't you think it's going to hit us hard this year?" And it's like. What are you like? It, it hits us every year. What are you talking about? So, 
you know, to a certain extent, I mean, it's nice to, that, you know, that those words are getting out there and, you know, pe- you know, getting people to understand what they are. But at the same time, it's like when people, when you, you know, I, I'm just a very kind of a stickler on understanding what the definition and the terming is behind them, why they say, why they should be called that, why they shouldn't be called that. So, you know, again, it's, it's kind of one of those things. It's cool to have it, but it's, just, you know, to get those terms out there and something that we've used. But um, on the other hand, it's kind of like, Let's use them in the correct terming and not, you know, just uh, just because they sound cool. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we talked a lot about, um, you know, that part of your job is to shuffle through the data and to try to find, you know, where the patterns are and uh, how these will impact your clients, snow contractors. From your experience in interacting with snow contractors, are there services or data you can provide them to make their job easier that they don't often realize you you have access to or can provide insight on? Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's, you know, there's several things that we can do. I think a lot of people, I shouldn't say a lot of people, it's a little bit of a mix. Because one, one thing you'll, that I've found is I start talking to different snow contractors and, and different snow removal services is that everybody kind of has a different idea on, on different things. Um, you know, one thing that we have is people want to talk about, you know, for instance, um, snowfall totals. So getting snowfall totals after the storm has occurred. Um, there's a lot of people out there that think that, you know, we can't really get down to, uh, you know, I want I guess, zip code level, if you will. Um, you know, and that's something we can do. You know, we have the ability to, in a lot of cases, um, have actual reports that people have. We have a network of, there's a network of people that are trained and overseen by the National Weather Service, and these people actually report a, a rem- an amount of snow. It's not like a computer going in and, uh, taking some reports or taking, you know, what it's estimating snowfall to be and then sending your report. This is actual people in, at an actual place overseen by the National Weather Service getting these in, a, a, after the storms occurred. And so we're able to get a much better idea than just interpolated data from a computer. It's, it's actual data that's been seen on the ground. So I think that's one thing. You know, that's probably the biggest. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that's really kind of uh, any any thoughts there, Beth? I would say that one thing most meteorologists, or sorry, not meteorologists, most <laughs> people in the snow industry um, don't know that can uh, benefit them is uh, a lot of weather consulting companies like us offer on-call services. You can actually text, call, whatever uh, you want, to, however you want to communicate with us uh, in the middle of the night, it, you know, when stuff's going on. If you have a question, you know, they're trying to make decisions overnight still when they're working. Uh, you know, maybe another round of snow is coming in later that next day. Do I send crews home for a little bit? Do I, you know, to get some rest? Do they have that um, that time, or is this going to hit faster uh, than previously anticipated and stuff like that? So we can walk them through the forecast for their location and help them in the decision-making processes so that they're not trying to do that, you know, in the middle of the night <laughs> without the latest data and that stuff. So, yeah, the on-call services are definitely a big uh, a big thing um, that we, we recommend. You know, some companies use it a lot. Some companies don't. Uh, it, it's really highly dependent on the specific person um, that we work with, I think. But it's something that's certainly beneficial uh, to snow contractors. We're a couple days away from Thanksgiving, but have people started to ask you whether or not we're going to have a white Christmas? You know, I I can't believe it, but I haven't got that question yet. Yeah, you're. You, I guess technically you're the first one. Usually we do get that question quite a bit, and that's almost more from the general public than it is anybody uh-huh. just wanting to know. Um, 
you know, it, it's always tough to say. It, it's just, you know, probability would probably say, well, I guess it depends where you are. Um, you know, here in southern, where I'm at, in southern, south central Indiana, I would tend to say probably not. But, no, we haven't really got that yet, much to my uh, surprise and, and maybe to, to my liking as well. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're looking. Are, are we gonna, is, your next gonna, is your next question going to be, are we going to have a white Christmas? No, my next question was, do you ever get blamed <laughs> that we didn't have a white Christmas? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know if we've ever gotten blamed we didn't get a white Christmas. We've gotten blamed for other things. 